As we have sung the song, my hope is built on nothing less, on nothing less but Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Listen to the following words that were spoken and written and declared by the church. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, let him be anathema. Let me read that again. This was a statement written and declared by the church. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, let him be anathema. This was written by the church of Rome in 1545 in the Council of Trent, Canon Number 9. You understand why the Reformation was needed? You understand why people like Martin Luther and Jan John Calvin and others rose in protest, calling the church, not atheists, the church, back to the Bible. The church at that time needed to be brought back and reminded of what the gospel is, what the Bible says. And one of the books of the Bible that declares and addresses the issue of how sinners are being justified before a holy God is the book of Galatians. We're starting today the book of Galatians, a new sermon series after being in the book of 1 Samuel uh, for quite a few weeks and months, uh, we are beginning today a new sermon series in the book of Galatians. And it would be very appropriate and fitting for us to read the entire book before we say anything else. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. I'll be reading from verse 1. To Galatians chapter 6, verse 18. Now, if you're wondering, how long will the service be today? Well, I don't know. But I'll tell you that the reading will not take longer than about 20 minutes. So, let's jump in and hear the book of Galatians. Here is the word of God for us this morning. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw no, none of the other apostles except James, the brother of the Lord. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard, they only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But I even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that e they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. 
God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified by works of the law, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuilt what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might, be, might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he so, who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and he was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, 
saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes, comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could, li could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time has come, 
God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid. I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of a slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than, the child, than, the, than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh 
persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too become tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all the good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Let's ask the Lord to bless the proclamation of his word. Would you join me in prayer? Father, what a privilege it is to hear your word in its entirety. Being able to hear what you have revealed to the churches of Galatia and hearing it all in one sitting. Father, as we begin delving into this book, I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts just as you have opened Paul's eyes when he had persecuted the church. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. And help us understand what you have accomplished for us through Jesus and through the Spirit. We pray all this, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen. As we delve into the book of Galatians, it is worth asking, what is the book of Galatians about? How would you answer that question? We have heard it. What is the book of Galatians about? And this morning as we begin this series of messages, I want to take a 
panoramic picture of this entire book. It's a short letter, one of the shorter letters in the New Testament, just six chapters, and yet in this short book, we receive something like a, like a bomb that destroys any impression that anyone might have of thinking that we can be made right with God by observing any human standard or even any law, even though that might be God's law. That somehow we can be made with God, right with God by the achievement of our own efforts. Now, this is an issue that Galatians speaks to. And we can summarize the whole book of Galatians with this sentence. Guard the gospel of justification by faith alone. Otherwise, all is lost. Guard the gospel of justification by faith alone. Otherwise, all is lost. Paul's aim in this letter is twofold. He aims to guard the gospel from being distorted. But there's a second aim. He aims to guard believers from losing it all. He aims to guard believers from losing it all. And between these two aims, we see the main point, the main teaching of this book is guard the gospel of justification by faith alone. Otherwise, all is lost. So let's look at these two aims in two points in this message today. Guard the gospel from being distorted. Guard the gospel from being distorted. Uh, the letter begins by exposing right away that there's a big problem in this book. There's a big problem uh, in the churches of Galatia. The Christians in Galatia have turned to a different gospel. Now, if you're not familiar with the, the meaning of the word gospel, it's a joyous news. It's a glorious declaration. It's great news, as we have recounted and, and summarized earlier in our service. But notice that Paul explicitly states in verse 6, in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So Paul, in this letter, needs to correct the distortion of the gospel. And this tells us there's no wiggle room for us to put a spin on the gospel and to adjust it to fit our tastes. There's no wiggle room to adjust the gospel. In verse 7, Paul says that there are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul needs to expose those who want to do that and why they would do it. Now, why would some among the churches of Galatia want to distort the gospel? We find at the end of the letter in chapter 6, in verse 12, the answer why some would want to distort the gospel. Paul says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted. 
for the cross of Christ. Do you see what motivated these false teachers to distort the gospel? It was a fear of being persecuted. And Paul, when he begins exposing this, he tells the, the churches in Galatia his own testimony, and he starts by saying, I was one of them. I was one of the persecutors. I've been on the other side. But God has worked powerfully in Paul's life to open his eyes to understand the grace that God has given in Jesus. And now Paul wants to expose these false teachers who for the fear of avoiding persecution were willing to distort the gospel. Now would we be tempted to distort the gospel in order to avoid persecution? Right now we're not in a place where persecution is knocking on our doors if we stayed faithful to the gospel. But should those days come, and they might, would we be open to consider twisting the truth of the gospel in order to avoid persecution? At least for us at the present moment, I'm afraid that for many, we are willing to distort the gospel not because of persecution, but because of convenience. For us, what is knocking on the doors uh, of threatening us and pressuring us to distort the gospel is not persecution. It's simply convenience. It's the idea that we prefer to remain in control of what we want to believe. We would rather determine what is good for us than allow someone else to determine what is truly true. How was the gospel distorted in Galatia? Uh, there was an influential group uh, that convinced Christians that besides believing in Jesus, they also had to get circumcised and observe the Jewish laws and the festivals. These Jewish teachers did not have a problem with believing in Jesus. Uh, they didn't say you have to renounce Jesus. They were fine with the idea of believing in Jesus. The, the problem was that believing in Jesus was not enough to solve our sin problem. They claimed we must also observe the Old Testament laws in order to be declared right before God. These false teachers insisted on the requirement, particularly of circumcision. I look at chapter 6, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. This was not, circumcision was not just an option for these false teachers. They required, they mandated that Christians would also have to be circumcised. Such teachings appeared also in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 1. We are, we are told that some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is the kind of teaching that was going on in that time. But it went beyond just circumcision. It involved the whole system of requiring that one began to live like a Jew 
obeying the Torah in order to be saved. And the crazy part is that even the Apostle Paul and even a bunch of Christians in the first century fell for this distortion of the gospel. We read in chapter 2 of Galatians that Cephas himself fell for this trap. And Paul confronted him. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This was the issue. Faith in Jesus was surely upheld, but it was seen as lacking something, as insufficient in order to make us righteous before God. It had to be supplemented by the requirement to keep the law of Moses. And this is the essence of what we find distorted among the churches of Galatia. The issue is how is one made right with God? To this distortion, the gospel is clearly stated in this book that we are justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. This is what Galatians 2.16 says so clearly. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The gospel that Paul preached tells us that our right standing with God is not determined by our achievement. By the way, this word justification or being justified is a legal language. We must understand it in the concept of legal transactions. Who has the right to declare someone just or unjust, righteous or unrighteous, guilty or unguilty? Only the judge. And the judge of all is not ourselves, but God. And the question is not simply, is God judging us righteous or unrighteous? The question is, on what grounds, on what basis does God judge us, declare us righteous? According to the gospel, According to the book of Galatians, God justifies us or declares us righteous, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done on behalf of sinners. This is the, the great clarification that the book of Galatians in particular brings and a host of other verses in the New Testament makes, makes clear. Paul also speaks in chapter 4 that Christ became a curse for us, taking upon himself the curse that the Old Testament included for all those who did not obey the entire law. Christ died in the place of sinners. God raised Jesus from the dead so that all those who put their faith, their trust in Jesus would become not merely justified, but would also become a new creation. Being justified by faith alone 
in Christ alone is how God saves us. But the salvation God works in us and on our behalf also creates a change in us. And Paul closes this letter with not simply it's either circumcision or faith. It's either circumcision or a new creation. The justification that God accomplishes for us because of Jesus truly rescues us from our sins. That's why in Galatians 6.15, Paul says, Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. We cannot make ourselves a new creation, but God can. And he does. When he pours out his spirit upon us and makes his spirit live in us, he makes us a new creation. So the false teachers insisted on getting circumcised in order to be justified before God. Paul insisted on faith alone, in Christ alone, because only God can make us a new creation. So the question is, will we keep holding to our own way of of trying to live, of trying to make ourselves right with God on our own ways, in our own efforts, or will we throw ourselves on the promises of God and believe that God achieves our salvation through His Son, Jesus? And when He saves us, He declares us righteous, And he works a new creation. He works a new change inside of us. But be sure of this. God does not declare us righteous because we change. Rather, we change because God declares us righteous. We become a new creation when we embrace And in the act of hearing the great news of the gospel of justification by faith alone. Now, how did Paul bring this argument that the gospel justifies sinners by faith alone? How did he make this argument? Well, he makes this argument in a few moves. Three moves in particular. In chapter 1, He tells us that this gospel of justification by faith alone is of divine origins. Nobody taught it to him. He actually heard it from God himself. That's in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he tells us that this gospel that he preaches, he confirmed with the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem, and he said, I checked with them. It's the same gospel. We're not preaching a different gospel. But then in chapter 3 and 4, Paul says that this gospel of being justified by faith alone was already announced in the Old Testament. Most of the arguments that Paul brings to declare the gospel of being justified by faith are arguments that come from the Old Testament. And the biggest picture, figure, of of these Old Testament arguments is the person of Abraham. 
In chapters 3 and 4, Paul references Abraham over and over again. He says Abraham was declared right before God simply because Abraham believed what God said he would do. Then he says, did you check the chronology? Who came first, the chicken or the egg? The law or the promise? Paul says, the law came 430 years after the promise. Abraham was declared righteous before God 400 years before the, the law was given. Then, if that's not enough an argument, in chapter 4, Paul says, if you still want to listen to the law, if you want to be guided by the law, haven't you read that Abraham had two sons? And in chapter 4, the two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, become a, a pattern of foreshadowing of how God was planning to work. Ishmael was born of, of a slave woman. Isaac was born from a free woman. And these mothers of these two sons represent two covenants. One is a covenant of, of works, living by the flesh. The other is a covenant of promise, living by faith. And Paul says, brothers, you are sons of promise. So in chapters 3 and 4, Paul unpacks the lessons from Abraham's life to convince these Galatians that a correct understanding and reading of the Old Testament demands that we must respond to God by faith, not by works, in order to be made right with God. Friends, the gospel of justification by faith alone is not a news merely of the, old, of the New Testament or merely of the book of Galatians. It is actually the news made known also in the Old Testament, if we read it correctly. The Old Testament contains the elements of the gospel of being justified by faith alone. So treasure the Old Testament as much as the New Testament. If you are a new Christian, let me say it to you this way. If you are a new Christian, it will be most helpful if you start reading the Bible with the New Testament. And then after, go to the Old Testament. Because the New Testament will start making sense of how to read the Old Testament. The New Testament will give us the clues of how to understand the Old Testament. Galatians will help us read the Old Testament better. And from the Old Testament to the New, God has been seeking to build a people who would trust Him and who would trust His Word so that whatever He reveals, starting from Genesis 1, when He created the world, all the way to Revelation, at the end of the Revelation, that from the beginning to the end, we would be a people who would hear and believe what He said. And trust what he said. In the book of Galatians, the concept that is referenced most often than any other concept is a concept of faith. It shows up about 19 times. Faith is not only that by which we are justified before God. Faith is also 
what we must have to accompany our hearing of the Word of God. Several times in this book, we, he we, we hear that our hearing must be a hearing with faith. And, and faith is needed also for how we live our lives each day. The only way to live for God is if we live by faith. And through faith is how we receive the Spirit of God. Through faith is how we receive the status of sons of God. Faith characterizes also the church as the household of faith. So the gospel is a good news of salvation that we receive by faith. We hear this news with faith. We're justified by faith. We begin living by faith because through faith we receive the Spirit and our sonship. What a glorious news this is. No wonder that Paul sought to guard this gospel from being distorted because the minute we try to accomplish our right stand before God through our own achievement, we lose it. We distort the gospel. Paul sought to correct. Paul sought to guard the gospel from being distorted. That's why he made known the gospel of justification by faith alone. But there's a second guarding that Paul does in this letter. And this is the second point of our, of our message this morning. It's the second aim of this book. It's that Paul seeks to guard believers from losing it all. This is a much shorter point. What Paul is fearful in this letter is not simply the distortion of the gospel, but the loss that these Christians would experience if they continue following the distorted gospel of faith plus works. What would be lost if the Galatians kept following a gospel of faith plus works? What would be lost? Three things. Christ would be lost. Listen to chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 4, you who are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. To be justified by the law or to seek to be justified by the law is to be severed from Christ. In other words, by saying that Christ is not enough to make us right with God would actually cause us to lose Christ. A second thing that would be lost, grace would be lost. Grace would be lost. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Turning to a distorted gospel is to take the path of losing the grace of God. And the grace of God is found only in the gospel of being justified by faith alone. And a third thing that we would be lost, our freedom would be lost. Our freedom would be lost. The freedom Paul speaks of here is not our freedom of our individual human rights. No, he is talking about the freedom from sin and from guilt. It is a freedom purchased not by military power, nor by being born in a particular nation. It is a freedom obtained for us by Christ himself with his own blood. 
So, in chapter 5, Paul pleads with the Galatians not to give up the freedom which Christ purchased for us. The freedom we have through the Spirit is not a freedom to live for our selfish desires. So, in chapter 5, when Paul exhorts the believers not to, not to give up their freedom, he's also addressing another possible ditch that people may not misunderstand their freedom as if it's a freedom to live for their own selfish, sinful desires. Paul says, no, 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 it's not a freedom for that. It's a freedom to serve others selflessly. It's a freedom to actually live in the Spirit. So chapter 5 closes with Paul's appeal to use the freedom we have in Christ to serve one another. And the only way we can do that is if we walk by the Spirit which God puts in us at the moment of conversion. So to turn away from the gospel of justification by faith alone is as foolish as wanting to go back to slavery after experiencing freedom. Friends, the development of what's going on in Afghanistan these days are a fitting illustration for us of what's at stake if we are not careful to guard the gospel. And what I mean is this. Seeing a country like Afghanistan who has been attempting to, to establish its freedom for the past 20 years, or at least seeing the help of other nations trying to establish freedom in the country of Afghanistan, and many in the, in the nation having grown towards that kind of freedom, and seeing that freedom now crumble, and a regime coming to power that begins suspending many of the freedoms that the people of Afghanistan have grown to, to live with and appreciate, seeing the Taliban take over so ferociously, forcefully, and bring a whole nation back to a way of living, that gives up on the freedoms that they've had. Definitely religious freedom. Certainly we're seeing news, the, the freedom to speech and to be able to speak freely. It's sad. It's really sad. But a much worse transaction happens when Christians would go back to putting our confidence in our efforts to make our right standing before God through our own achievement. It is as if we are giving up on the freedom that God has purchased for us, and we want to go back to living like slaves. We want to go back to living with the same kind of ways that a regime like, like the Taliban would try to do in Afghanistan, only that if it's, it's much worse. Because the slavery that we would be going back to is the slavery of sin and death. We could never get out of that slavery on our own. But Christ accomplished that freedom for us so that we are called to live and stand in this freedom. 
So friends, when we fail to guard the gospel of justification by faith alone, well, friends, it's like, the, it's like the Afghan soldiers who fled from their posts of protecting their country from the takeover of the Taliban. When we are giving up or not careful to protect this dual doctrine of being saved and being justified, by, justified before God by faith in Christ alone, it's like we're fleeing and giving over the reins to a regime of slavery. Oh, friends, may we not flee from our post. May, me, may we not want to be the, the people who would actually love to go back to slavery. What is the book of Galatians about? It's about guarding the gospel of being justified by faith alone. Otherwise, all is lost. Christ's benefits would be lost. Grace would be lost. Our freedom from sin and death would be lost. May we stand in the grace of God and stand firm in the gospel of being justified by faith alone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that in Jesus you have accomplished a freedom for us that we could never, ever accomplish on our own standing. And now as the end of, as we have heard this message, at the end of this time together this morning, we ask that you would give us the, the eagerness, the zeal, the faith to hold on, to embrace, to stand firm and guard this great news of the gospel of being made right with you through the sacrifice of Christ. Give us the faith to believe it fully and give us the courage to protect it in our own lives and the lives of one another so that we may indeed rightly be called a household of faith. We pray that you would cause any among us who would still put confidence in our own performance cause our hearts to melt down and believe and begin to trust that our salvation is based on what you have done for us entirely. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.